Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Jeff Redorn is my guest for the full hour. We're back in our series of end times. And frankly, I couldn't be happier. So I think I spoke a little too soon. We're going to devote an entire hour next time he's in to questions about the series. So today we're going to talk about the second coming of Christ through the rest of eternity, which is going to be an interesting hour. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Bill. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, eternity is a long time, That's isn't it? a long it? time, yeah. So it is. we only have an hour to discuss eternity, so <laughs> yeah. let's get at it. We can do it. Let's start with an overview, maybe. Uh, sure. Well, yeah, let's review a little bit from the last uh, several sessions. As we've walked through God's plan for the end of the age, we have talked about a number of things, and that is, first, that the the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church, that the church, Jesus says, I'm going to to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will certainly come back and take you to be where I am also. So the trump will sound, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and we will be caught up together with the, the dead in Christ in the clouds, and there we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is, this is our blessed hope, the coming of the Lord in the air when we meet him and he brings us home. Uh, then there is a seven-year tribulation that comes upon the world. This is, you know, all the events of the book of Revelation basically fit into this seven-year period uh, of trumpet judgments and bowl judgments and sealed judgments, and uh, this is the Antichrist, and we've talked about a number of these characters and events uh, over the last several weeks. And then, of course, there is the second coming of Christ, when he comes riding on that white horse. We're going to read that passage today, by the way, and then we're going to cover everything that happens after that. So after the second coming, he Jesus will establish his kingdom, and we'll talk about that kingdom today. What does it look like? What are some of the characteristics of that kingdom? Uh, where is that kingdom? Is it on earth and so on? What happens to Satan during that time? Um, and what happens at the very end of that thousand-year reign? And at the end of the thousand-year reign, there is this final judgment of God called the Great White Throne Judgment. So we'll talk about that a little bit. We already have talked about it, but we'll talk about it a little bit more today. And then we enter into this eternal state. He says, and then heaven and earth flee from God's presence, and he makes a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem that comes down, and that is our eternal state. And so we'll talk about that. And we actually don't know much about that eternal state. Uh, We just have about a half a chapter uh, or so at the very back of the book of Revelation about that eternal state. But we'll glean what we can out of that to see what our eternal state is going to look like. All right. All right. So here we go. So let's start. As Jesus comes back, the scene has been set. So it says one of the last bold judgments of Revelation is it says that the armies of the world have gathered in this place that in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon or Armageddon. And so we typically refer to this 
as the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus returns to destroy these armies. Well, first, why did these armies gather in the first place? Well, I think they are gathering to destroy the nation of Israel. God has been protecting the nation of Israel the second half of the tribulation period, and I think these armies are gathering to finally wipe out the nation of Israel, and that is the scene which they are gathering for, and that is what Jesus comes back to destroy these armies. And so we frequently call this the Battle of Armageddon. Now, I've been to this Jezreel Valley in northern Israel. It's a broad plain. Uh, There's actually a Israeli Air Force Base right in the middle of it. And I've actually taught on the end times there. It's kind of cool. I actually stood on the hill called Tel Megiddo, where we get the name uh, Megiddo or Har-Megiddo or Armageddon, and uh, taught about the end times there. The problem with calling it the Battle of Armageddon is twofold. One, it's not a battle. And two, it actually doesn't happen at Armageddon. Other than that... (laughs) Makes perfect sense. So why isn't it a battle? Well, it's not a battle because is there any question about who is going to be victorious in this quote-unquote battle? No. Jesus treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, and this is a judgment on the armies of the world. This is not a battle. But secondly, it actually doesn't happen in the Jezreel Valley. Because what where it says that it happens is actually, let's go back to the Old Testament. Oftentimes, a future event is prophesied in a way by an old event or a, something that happened in the Old Testament. And this battle, actually, there is a precursor of this battle that happened in Second Chronicles 20. And so the story of Jehoshaphat is Jehoshaphat is king. He is being surrounded by all these armies, and he realizes, I don't have a chance we are going to be destroyed. And he, re, he, he calls out to God, God, we are going to be destroyed. If you don't fight for us, uh, we don't have a chance here. And so we pick it up in Second Chronicles 20, and in verse 15, it says, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, the battle is not yours, but God's. God says he is going to fight the battle for Israel. By the way, our battle is not against armies, flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And who fights that battle today for us? Still God. So there's a lesson there for us to just remember. God is the one who fights our battles for us. When the men of, verse 24, 2 Chronicles 20, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert where all these armies had been gathered, and they looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. If you would have read the story, these armies turned against each other, and they all killed each other. And so no one was left. The Lord fought and saved Jehoshaphat and all of Israel that day. And guess what? He's going to be going to do it again. But Joel, the book of Joel, tells us where this uh, judgment, this battle, quote-unquote battle, is going to occur. And that's in Joel chapter 3 where it says this of the Battle of Armageddon, basically. It says, I will gather all the nations at Armageddon, like Revelation says, and bring them down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Well, we just read that story, right? And in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, God says, there I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up the land. Jehoshaphat, by the way, means Yahweh 
judges. And that's what's going to happen at the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, the question is, where is the Valley of Jehoshaphat? Well, most old maps and commentators will say that the Valley of Jehoshaphat is the valley right outside the old city of Jerusalem, today called the Kidron Valley. And it's in that valley where when Jesus returns, he will tread the winepress of the wrath of God and destroy the armies that are marching on to destroy Israel. All right? So that is, and by the way, from the valley of the Jezreel Valley up north to Jerusalem and the Kidron Valley, where I think the Valley of Jehoshaphat is, it's about a 20-hour walk for an army. So it would be easy for the armies to gather together, then march south onto Israel. So, but they aren't successful. And they aren't successful because in Revelation 19, we have this picture. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 11. And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses dressed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us. Mm -hmm. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations with a word. This battle is fought with a word. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom and reign on earth for a thousand years. All right? So let's talk about all the things that happen after Jesus returns to earth at the second coming. So the first thing that Scripture says in verse 17 is this thing called the Great Supper of God. And it says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun who carried in a loud voice to all the birds of the air, saying, Come, gather together for the Great Supper of God. Now, don't confuse this Great Supper of God with the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. We're going to be talking about that in just a minute. This is the great supper of God where the birds of the air come and gorge themselves on all the armies that had just been destroyed. All right? And I know it's kind of sick, isn't it? But this is actually something that has been prophesied in the Old Testament as well. So we see this battle in Ezekiel 39 when God says, Speak to every kind of bird and every beast of the field, assemble that they may gorge themselves. Jeremiah 7, the carcasses of the people will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Jeremiah 19, uh, again, the carcasses will be food for the birds and for the beasts of the field. Um, so God has actually been telling us about this great supper of God. Here we see it in Revelation, right? Immediately after Jesus returns to earth. What does Jesus do next? Well, it says in verse 19 that he sees the, 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 this, uh, the beast, this Antichrist, and the false prophet, and the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. So he takes them who'd been you know, making havoc on the earth, 
the Antichrist requiring everybody to worship him as God, the mark of the beast and all that, and he takes those two and he throws them into the lake of fire. And then it says Jesus seizes the dragon and he throws them, he wraps them in a chain, locks them up, and he throws them into an abyss for a thousand years. And we're going to study what are, what's the nature and character of this kingdom. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that is going to characterize this coming kingdom on earth is that Satan is going to be bound for the thousand-year kingdom on earth, only to be released at the very end. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But we'll also see that during this millennial kingdom, there's still going to be rebellion, Do you believe it? We have Christ is going to rule from his throne in Jerusalem over all the earth, and yet there's still going to be rebellion. And no one will have the excuse that the devil made me do it because he's (laughs) bound up, Mm -hmm. chained up, and put in the abyss. So what does that tell us about the condition of man's heart? And we'll talk about who that is and who's rebelling here in, 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 in a minute. So then we see a resurrection. So when Jesus comes, we were the armies of heaven following him. But in Revelation 20, verse 4, it says, and then uh, John sees the vision of others coming to life and reigning with Jesus for a thousand years. Well, I believe that group of people are those believers who were killed during the tribulation period They are going to come to life. They are going to receive their glorified bodies, and they will uh, will reign with Christ just as the church is going to reign with Christ for that thousand years. So now remember the picture. There are going to be glorified body people, us, the church, reigning with Christ who is glorified, right? He's in his glorified body. At the rapture, we receive our glorified body. Here, those that were killed during the tribulation receive their glorified bodies, and we will be reigning with Christ for a thousand years over the whole earth. Well, we'll get to who that is in just a minute. Okay. It's basically the sheep uh, of the sheep and the goat judgment and of Israel. So we'll see that and in I'm, a minute. I'm thinking of the serpent chained up for a thousand years. I, I hope he gets lousy prison food. <laughs> You know, it's going to be solitary confinement. Okay, good. Chained up. Good. All right. And uh, let's take a short break. Jeff Redorn's my guest. We're going to continue our study on end times and be right back. So glad he's here. We're talking about end times, the book of Revelation. Jeff, this is uh, extremely compelling. You're doing a beautiful job of laying this out. Let's continue. Well, it's a beautiful plan. God has uh, God has a plan for the end of the age, and and uh, we just need to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So, uh, but if He is going to come and establish His kingdom on earth, then we need some people to be partakers of the kingdom. And so we have two groups of people 
that Scripture talks about that will that will survive the tribulation and enter into the millennial kingdom of Christ. And the first group comes from, in Matthew 25, there's this thing called the sheep and the goat judgment. So, so he says that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, so when is that? That's the second coming. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Well, long story short, the sheep are good. They're called righteous, which means they believed in Jesus Christ and received the righteousness of Christ. That's the key word to that whole passage. Then the righteous said to him, when did we do these things? They don't enter the kingdom because of what they did, works. They enter the kingdom because of who they are, righteous, which is only by faith Mm -hmm. in the Bible, right? So that's the key to understanding the sheep and the goat judgment. The sheep are righteous. They enter into the kingdom. The goats are not righteous. They go away, basically, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you remember all the parables about the wise and the foolish virgin and the good servants and the bad servants and so on, those all parallel, by the way, the sheep and the goat judgment. So the sheep are righteous. They will enter into the kingdom. Now, when it says that he gathers the nations, I think that is a reference to all of the Gentile nations. Well, what about Israel? Well, Israel is the other group of people that are going to enter the kingdom. This is the kingdom that Israel has been looking for since the very beginning. Remember what they asked Jesus when he was about to go up? Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom uh, to Israel, Acts chapter 1? And he says, you know, no, but the Holy Spirit is going to come. We're going to have this thing called the the church age, and this kingdom is yet future. And it, it, it comes to earth when Jesus returns to earth. And what does he do with the nation of Israel? Well, he gathers his elect from the four winds of the world, and he saves Israel. That's why uh, places like Romans says, and therefore all Israel will be saved. That's why we have things like uh, Jeremiah 31 and, and Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10, where he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah on that day when I take away their sins. Israel will be saved. I believe a remnant of the nation of Israel but the nation will be saved. So what are the two groups of people that will enter in in bodily form, in earthly bodily form, are Israel, the nation of Israel, the remnant, they enter in, and the sheep of the sheep and the goat judgment from all the other Gentile nations. So that, we now have the players, right? We now have the players in place. We have Jesus in his glorified body ruling, We have the raptured church and their glorified ruling over the earth. We have the nation of Israel and all of the sheep from the sheep of the goat judgment in their earthly bodies as basically the, the citizens, if you will, of the kingdom. And now the kingdom begins. Can I ask the, well, you just said the people from the sheep and goat judgment in their earthly bodies. These are people who have come to faith during that thousand-year millennial reign? During the seven-year tribulation. I'm sorry, that's what I meant, the seven-year tribulation. Yes, Yes, exactly. So during that seven-year tribulation, I believe many, many, many people will come to faith during that time. In fact, some of them are killed and go to heaven. So we talked about this a few weeks ago, that that is the great multitude that is in heaven, and they came out of the great tribulation, so they died. But the sheep or all the others that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ are now righteous but did not die 
during the seven-year tribulation, they enter in in bodily form okay. into the kingdom. Okay. Very good. So what's the first thing? If you're beginning a kingdom, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to eat. Have a meal. We're going to have a meal. So this is, the event is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, don't confuse this marriage supper of the Lamb with the great supper of God. Remember, the great supper of God is the birds eating all the dead bodies. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a wonderful meal. It says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God, Revelation 19, verse 9. So we have Jesus the bride, us, the, the the wedding ceremony has happened up in heaven, I believe, and now we are having a feast. Isaiah 25 says this of this feast. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Is this going to be a good meal? Is this a plated meal or is this a buffet? <laughs> It is. Uh, you know, I've been studying this for a long time, Bill. I've never thought of that question before. I've never no, gotten that question got before. Friends like uh, me. I'm going to go plated. All right, whatever. I'm going plated. But it's all you can eat. I it's, would hope so. It would be all yeah. you can eat. And the good news is we will be able to eat in our glorified bodies, right? True. I think that's a wonderful I like news. it. All right. So this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And... Uh, it just one thing I love to teach when we're talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a lot of people who think that the church are those that are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a couple of passages and parables of talking about being invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We as the church, the bride of Christ, are we invited to our own wedding feast? And the answer is no, we're not. We are the guest of honor. Is the bride invited to her own marriage feest? No, guest she's the guest of honor. Mm-hmm. So uh, the invited guests, by the way, are Israel and the sheep of the sheep and the goat judgment. The glorified church is the guest of honor, the bride of Christ. Isn't that cool? We are the guest of honor. So now comes the millennial reign. So what are the characteristics of this millennial kingdom? What does it look like? Um, First and foremost, I want to establish right now that this kingdom is on earth, all right? So when we have have a kingdom that is on earth, some want to say that we are in the kingdom right now, and this is the kingdom of God, and I say, no, open the newspaper up. Look at what's happening in this world. This is not the kingdom of God. And by the way, we pray the Lord's Prayer, which says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is an earthly kingdom for a thousand years. Psalm says that it's on my holy hill. Isaiah says it's in Jerusalem. Joel says it's in Zion. Micah says that it's Jerusalem, the capital of the world, when he will judge between the nations. Ezekiel describes the millennial temple that will be built, and it will be on this earth. So that's the first characteristic. We have a bunch more. We got a bunch more. We'll be back in just a minute with Jeff Verdorn as we discuss end times. Be right back. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's 
Jeff Dorn, we're continuing our study on end times. Jeff, you're doing a brilliant job, I must say. Wow. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Well, we just established that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom, and it's on earth. Zechariah 14, 4 says, On that day his feet, Jesus, will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and on the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley. Um that's Jesus coming back, standing on the Mount of Olives. Do you know where he went? Where he was standing when he went up to Mount heaven? Of Olives. The Mount of Olives. Yep. You know where he's going to come back down to? Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. So he then establishes his kingdom. So what are some of the other characteristics? Well, we already talked about the fact that we will be reigning with him. So we are in our glorified bodies, and we will be reigning with him. There is an interesting passage in Isaiah that says this. It says, The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them all. Now, as far as I can tell, that's not happening yet, right? So I believe this is a description of the millennial kingdom. When, like the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve could walk amongst the animals and and there was, they were, there was no fear, there was no uh, there was no, he didn't risk, Adam never risked getting eaten by a lion, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that is the way it's going to be during this millennial kingdom. The nature of the animal kingdom is going to change back to how it was like in the Garden of Eden. So the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the little child will lead them all. Cool. That's really cool. There's another aspect of this millennial kingdom, and that is that it says that people will live longer again. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth, Isaiah 65. So I think there's a picture of those who are in their earthly bodies during this game. Well, their lifespans will increase compared to what they are today. We also know that it's a time of peace. So Isaiah chapter 2 says that men will beat their weapons into plowshares and there will be peace on earth. You know, in the beauty pageant, always says, you know, what do you wish for? And she always says world peace, right? Well, do you know that's actually a prayer for Christ to return and establish his kingdom? Because that's the only time the world will actually ever see true world peace. Israel will possess their land. So there's many descriptions in the Old Testament of of Israel once again in their land living safely. For example, Amos chapter 9, I will plant Israel in their own land. Never again will be to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord their God. And Isaiah 60 says that your people will be righteous and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. So Israel will be in their land, their promised land, safe and secure for that whole thousand reign, thousand year reign. And as we talked about, Satan will be bound during this whole time. But guess what? There's actually going to be rebellion, even though Satan is bound. So you think, well, wait a minute, how in the world can that be? That if there's no Satan to tempt man, how can there be rebellion against the Lord? Well, think of this. Israel and the sheep enter into the millennial kingdom for a thousand years. Well, they are going to have children. 
and their children's children are going to have children, and so on and so forth. And each one of those children will need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, as their personal Savior. And you know what? Some won't. And you go, how in the world can someone not believe in Christ when he's the king ruling on earth? And I guess the only way I have to answer that is, well, guess what? He came one time before and he rose from the dead and he appeared to people in glory. And yet there were still people who did not believe him then either. And it says that there will be rebellion if a nation does not go up to worship the Lord, then no rain will come on their on their land, and uh, and then Israel at the very end, I'm sorry, Satan at the very end will be released, and there's going to be one final rebellion at the very end of the thousand-year reign. And it says in the book of Revelation that, that uh, their number is many. Satan is released and deceives them. They encircle the city that God loves. I think that is Jerusalem. And he's basically saying, let's take over this kingdom once and for all. And you know what happens? Fire comes down and devours them. And that's kind of like a second Armageddon, if you will. The rebellion of those that, that never accepted Christ, who followed Satan as he was released at the end of the thousand-year They go and they want to take over this kingdom, and fire comes down and devours them. And that's the end of the millennial kingdom. Um, One thing I I didn't, before we get to the new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem and and the judgment that comes next, there's one thing that I forgot to mention, and that was the millennial temple. Um. Jesus is described as ruling from this temple. This is actually at the book of Ezekiel. So if you want to study and look at what this millennial temple is going to look like, uh, Ezekiel 40, for example, says, In the vision of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, and uh, whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. And he is now going to see a vision of this millennial temple from which Jesus is going to rule for a thousand years. Um, On the Temple Mount, by the way in Jerusalem, where the other temples had stood. Um, and and by the way, one other interesting fact about it is what it says in the Old Testament that David, King David, will rule over Israel during that time. So Ezekiel says that my servant David will be king over them. So clearly those who are resurrected and ruling with Christ will have some role during that thousand-year reign. King David gets to be the prince or the king over Israel. Um, So underneath Christ, who's ruling the whole earth, obviously, King David will have responsibility over Israel. Um, All the rest of us, you know, maybe a block or two in southwest Eden Prairie or something, you know, that, (laughs) that we get. But we literally will rule and reign. So we see David uh, ruling um, as well. So now what's next? Well, it says that after uh, the, the fire comes down and destroys them, Scripture says that heaven and earth flee from God's presence. They are no more. The current heaven and the current earth and, and, and their natures are now gone. He's going to change them and make them new, and they're going to come together here in just a minute. But before that happens, there is this thing called the great white throne judgment. 
Now, the great white throne judgment is judgment day. So when you think about that phrase and where judgment day and on the day of judgment, this is that day. <coughs> Excuse me. And that day, we have to set the scene here for this judgment day. God will be sitting on the throne. Christ is on the throne in whom all judgment has been handed over to, right? And he will judge all things. We, as the body of Christ, will be on that throne. Paul says, don't you know that you will judge the world? Well, this is the day that we will judge the world, even angels, Paul says. So on one side, it's God, it's Christ, it's us, and we are judging the world. So before us, who's before us? Lost humanity. From the very beginning of man to the very last rebellion at the end of the thousand years, all those who never believed and received the righteousness of God through Christ are going to be standing before us. Let me read it. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, these are the lost people, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name is not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So all the lost people that will be standing before us on that day, their names will not be in the Lamb's book of life. They never acknowledged the Lamb of God, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they never were saved. And it says of those people whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life, they are thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. And that's the bad news. Do you remember that passage, or you've heard it uh, taught, that there'll be no crying in heaven? Well, actually, there is crying in heaven. Because on that day, I think all of heaven will be crying. We just saw most of mankind going through the broad gate to destruction. And I know God's heart's going to break because his will is that none should perish, but all to come to repentance. And I think we are going to be very sad that day because you are going to know people who are standing before you on that day who are thrown into the lake of fire. And so we are going to cry. And it says, then, then God, just the next passage, God wipes away every tear. That's that moment that God wipes away every tear. When we see lost humanity thrown into the lake of fire. Then God comforts us, and now the good news, he's going to make all things new. And a new Jerusalem coming down. And of this new state, this eternal state, which we're going to talk about next, he says nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it. So only the righteous will, will, will make it past that great white throne moment and enter into the new earth, new heaven and new earth. You ready to hear what that sounds like? Yeah, please. All right. We got time. We don't need to break right now. No, we got a couple minutes. All right. So Revelation 20, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. Peter says it this way. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Ooh, he's going to completely burn up this existing earth. Why? Because this is going to be our eternal home. He is going to make all things new. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there's no longer any sea. Revelation 21, 5, he who was seated on the throne says, see, I am making everything new. Are heaven and earth together today or are they apart? Apart. They are apart. For all of eternity, heaven and earth are going to be remade and now they're going to be together. Here's a little fact. We don't spend eternity in heaven. Heaven spends eternity on earth. And here's one of the most significant passages in all of Scripture. Because now heaven is the throne of God, right? So that's the dwelling place of God. Well, now the dwelling place of God will no longer be heaven apart from earth. It's going to be with us on earth. Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. (gasps) That's stunning. Love it. The creator of all, the one who spoke and created everything, the one who gives life to everything, The one who no one has seen except the one who comes from heaven. And in fact, in the Old Testament said, if you saw him, you would just die. Now says he's going to come and dwell with his people forever and ever. He's going to tabernacle with his people forever and ever in this new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. And you know what comes down from heaven? This new Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem, this giant city. That is described in Revelation a little bit. Remember, we don't have much on this eternal state. But one of the things we have is a description of this city. It has the glory of God. It's brilliant like crystal and jasper. It has high walls of jasper and 12 gates that each were a single pearl. That's the pearly gates Hmm. of heaven, by the way. It has 12 foundation stones. It's in a square. It's huge. Its streets are like gold, like transparent glass, streets of gold. This is some city. It's a God's glory illuminated. And you know what John says? He says he doesn't see a temple in this new Jerusalem. Do you know why he doesn't see a temple? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. He says, John says, and I did not see a temple in this city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. He's now tabernacling with us. We don't need a tabernacle to to meet with God. He's with us. Mm. And so John doesn't see a temple or a tabernacle because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its tabernacle. He is tabernacling with us. And then in the middle of the city, there's this thing called the tree of life. Well, we hadn't seen the tree of life since all the way back in Genesis, right? When the fall happens and Adam and Eve get kicked out in the garden and man hadn't had access to the tree of life ever since. And what's right there in the center of the city? The tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruits for his people. But there's no temple. That is our eternal state. Hmm. Take one last break. Jeffrey Dorn's my guest. We are talking about end times. If you didn't figure that one out, we'll be right back. 
Jeff Redorn is discussing end times with us. This is lesson number six that we've been with him. And uh, next time we meet, we'll have a full hour of Q&A. So get your questions ready for that time. But Jeff, let's, uh, let's sum up the plan and then let's talk about why this is important. Um, so this plan for the end of the age beginning with the rapture of the church. I'm fully convinced, by the way, we talked about this. This was a whole week we did on the rapture last time that that uh, we are caught up to heaven before the tribulation comes upon the world. There's then a seven-year tribulation. This is Old Testament wrath of God stuff, sealed judgments, bowl judgments, trumpet judgments. Um, and at the end of that seven years, Jesus is going to come back. We read it today, Revelation 19. And he comes back and he wages war, a battle, the battle of Armageddon, which isn't a battle and it doesn't happen in Armageddon. It's a judgment and it happens at the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And he destroys all the armies. He then saves Israel and the sheep of the sheep and the goat judgment. They then enter into this millennial kingdom, this kingdom on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christ is going to rule for this thousand years. We, in glorified bodies, the church, will be ruling with him. And that will be his kingdom. He is going to rule from a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. We will be ruling with him. The animal kingdom will change. The uh, men's lives will be longer. And, and, and Christ, the law will go forth from Zion. Are you? Are, do you desire a righteous king, a righteous yes. kingdom, a righteous government that always does what is right? Me too. And that is exactly what, how Christ will rule and reign. And yet even in that perfect government, even in that perfect kingdom, some are going to rebel. And when Satan is released at the very, very end of that thousand-year reign— those that never believed in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior will follow him in that rebellion and then be destroyed. And, you know, I guess because this always comes up, how can you be the child of a child of a child during this thousand-year reign and not believe that Jesus is Lord? And I, I guess it would be like, well, I just don't believe grandpa's old stories of Jesus coming back. You know, that was 600 years ago. And you just don't believe it. And I think we can all understand that. Once there's that final judgment, we have this great white throne judgment when all the lost are judged and thrown into the lake of fire. And then we have this new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. And that's our eternal state. And we just have about a chapter in the, in the back of the book, and that's all we have. But it's kind of like, well, how I think one of the reasons why we study the end times is so that we have an eternal focus, right? We all worry about today, but today is really kind of meaningless as compared to all of eternity. Eternal life is a really big deal. Now, we may not have a ton of detail about what our eternal state's going to look like, but Corinthians, Paul says this in Corinthians. It is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, it's going to be better than we can even imagine. This eternity. So I usually ask this question at the end of my classes when I teach this in a classroom setting. 
And I say this, I say faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Why? Why is love the greatest? Well, let me ask you a question. Will you need faith in eternity? The answer is, well, no. Like the song says, faith will become sight, right? Will you need hope in all of eternity? And again, no. Who hopes for what he already has, Paul says. But will you still have love? And the answer is, of course, you'll still have love for all of eternity. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So I love studying the time, the end times, when we no longer need faith and we no longer need hope, so to grow our faith and our hope right now, today. I think that's the value of studying the end times. Let me read from 1 Thessalonians 5 to close out. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's the rapture. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them. That's the tribulation. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, believers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Right now, today, let's not be like the world. But let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Remember what one of the fruits of the spirits is? Self-controlled. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. That's the armor of God. For Christ did not appoint us to suffer wrath, We are going to be raptured prior to the tribulation period. But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words and build each other up. I think God's plan for the end of the age is such an encouraging message to the church. And unfortunately, so many churches aren't teaching this stuff anymore. They, we need to know about this. The body of Christ needs to know about God's plan for the end of the age. I've read the back of the book. We win. <laughs> we have great hope. We have eternal life. We have a future kingdom. And uh, it's just such a wonderful message. So Nicely done. That's God's plan for the end of the age. Yeah. And so looks like next time we meet Jeff... We, According to my calendar, it would be Tuesday, May 25th. Does that sound right? That sounds That's right two to me. from yeah, today. Yep. And then we will spend the whole hour uh, doing Q&A. I uh, love it. Yeah, and a bunch of questions have come in, and I would expect us to address them next time uh, we gather on the 25th because there's some very thoughtful questions, and a lot of people are wishing that they could have charts and an overview of all of this and so i don't know if you have charts you know what we should do aren't you going to make up a listing somehow of all six of the of the sessions and then we could put the end times chart the overview chart of the end times on that website can we do that 
Right. So that is, yeah, it's going to be a series page. And on that series page, we can put the chart. But that won't be until a week after, at least a week after your last episode. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be in the first week of June or something Mm -hmm. around there. Yeah, I've <laughs> I'm, I have no shortage of charts. By I know the way, you don't. So. I've got all of them, by the way. Yeah. So um, yeah, it is helpful. Uh, charts are always helpful. The pictures—that's the one of the hard things about radio—is you can't have a PowerPoint presentation going on uh, for the audience. So, uh, but hopefully, we described it uh, well enough you that did. people get a good understanding of God's plan for the yeah. end. Yeah. And uh, Brian from my Bible study sent an email saying, Jeff Ferdorn is on fire, and uh, you're nice enough to be joining our Bible study tomorrow morning. So we are. We're going to have that. Yeah. yeah. 7 a.m.? Uh, 7.30. 7.30. Yeah. All right. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much to all my guests, Rob Bluey and Dr. Greg Borgon and Jeff Ferdorn. What a great show it was. I hope you had a, a wonderful day. I so appreciate you listening to Faith Radio and supporting us and what we do here. It means the world to me. And to us, have a great night, everyone. I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.